own message last week, so that like, uh, yeah, that one really uh, hit me. So I was like, wow, I need that. So that's up on SoundCloud. But we're going to talk about this. And what I feel like the Lord wants to do, or what I feel like God wants to get across to us, is that uh, life's not always fair. Do you believe that? No? Two of you? Okay. I know we're in church, so we can be honest, right? Say it with me. Life is not always fair. But Jesus has defeated hell, the grave, every situation. Come on, help me out here. You guys, are we believers? Every situation, every circumstance. In this world, I will have trouble, but Jesus has overcome the world. Life can wear you down until you feel like you have nothing left. Can I get a witness? Right? And if, you, if you've never experienced that before, it's because you're not old enough to, you've not, had, you've not lived on this planet long enough to realize the truth of that. That is a reality. But the truth is, is that you were created to be loved by God. So that in every circumstance and in every situation you win. Did you know that? Come on. Did you know that? Every circumstance and every situation, regardless of what happens to you, you were designed to win. You were designed to overcome. You were designed to succeed, even in the negative. This is the victory that God has imparted to us. Let's say this together. When life, when the devil... And when my own choices try to put me under, Jesus will put me over. You believe that? It's true. This is the reality of our faith. This is what it all comes down to. Can we turn that amp off? Is that possible? I don't know. I got a hum here. Who's got the hum? Is it the life? No? Oh, it's all right. Might be Heidel. Heidel might be still jamming up here. He's still laying down the bass line. Now, I think it's this one. I don't know, whatever. Just turn it off. That's fine. We'll go with this. So when life tries to put you under, Jesus wants to put you over. The Bible says that God is able to make all grace abound towards you, so that having sufficiency in all things, you may have an abundance for every good work. God's design is to allow abundance of grace. The Bible tells us that grace is enabling power of God. I really want to make this point to this church so that we as a people understand what grace truly is. We think grace is this mythical abstract. We think of grace as this kind of uh, sort of surreal serenity experience. What grace is, is the enabling power of God. It is a power that comes from God to enable you. It is a power that comes from God to cause you to be able to do something that you couldn't ordinarily do. To go through what you couldn't ordinarily go through, this should have killed me, but by the enabling power of God, I stand. I should be freaking out right now, but by the enabling power of God, I'm not. You understand that? The Bible says, by grace we are saved, not by some surreal serenity experience. By the enabling power of God, we are saved. That's what grace is. And he makes, everybody say it with me, all grace grace. abound towards you. Whatever it is that you need, he's got the answer. And it is found in his presence, it is found in his spirit, and it is found in the form of grace. Enabling power. I want to talk to you this morning about what God does and how the Lord works in our lives. He not only brings us through valleys, he prepares tables. Did you know that? He does. David said this, you prepare a table before me 
in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Very famous psalm, Psalm 23. We talked a little bit about it last week. When you read Psalm 23, as you kind of go through the psalm, it says, he, 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 he. And the minute David hits the valley, he goes, you. So the whole relationship with God pivots when David hits the hard circumstance. God is no longer he. God is up close and personal. And here again, we have God up close and personal because David is surrounded by enemies. And God is not the he. He's the you. He's right there. He can be known. He will be known. He wants to be known. And he wants to reveal himself to you in an intimate, say it with me, an intimate and personal way in my difficulties. That's what he wants to do. God doesn't want to be a he. He wants to be a you. There's one thing about when you say he, he leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul to the point where it goes, you lead me through the valley of the shadow of death. You are with me. You are the one who is doing something in my life. It's a complete different aspect of what's going on. This is what God wants to do. So what does this mean? In the midst of fill in the blank, in the middle of whatever it is you're going through, you must see, acknowledge, and enter into his goodness. You have to see that he is with you. You have to see that Jesus is up close and personal. You have to make a determined decision in your heart that he's with you. He can't do it for you. He won't do it for you. He prepares a table before you, but you have to actually come to the table. This is a big thing. We have to accept the responsibility that we have as believers is very minimal, but it is essential to what it is that God wants to do in our life. If we do not assume the responsibility that he has placed upon us, none of this stuff activates in our life. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. You cannot experience or encounter the glory of God until you do the things that he said he wants you to do. Speak, open your mouth. That's a big thing with Christians. God tells us over and over again to open our mouths. He tells us to speak to our circumstances. Well, that seems foolish. To who? It doesn't seem foolish to Jesus. It seems foolish to you. It might seem foolish to your neighbor. What are you doing? I'm speaking to my circumstances. You start, you start doing these things. When in the midst of your problems, it's important that we see the Lord with us, that we acknowledge that he is with us, and that we enter into his goodness and into his promises. This is very, very important. Because if we don't, then the circumstances, all they do is consume us. Next slide. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. He prepares a table. Hebrew word. Ready? You guys are going to say this with me. I'm going to say it first. Say it with me. Tarak shulkan. It means to construct, arrange, prepare, set in order. It is sacred. It is a sacred table. It is called the table of kings. It's actually the same uh, word construction for the table of showbread that was in the temple. So God is bringing you in the midst of your enemies. If you will acknowledge him and you will see that he is with you, he wants to bring you to a sacred table. This is something that is very special to him. When, God, when you're in the middle of a fight or you're in the middle of circumstances, he's not just the God of the mountains, he's the God of the valley. When you're in the midst of the valley, we think that God has left us. The truth, it, you couldn't be further from the truth. I know that's what it feels like. I know that's what it seems. And I know it's what it sounds like. But that is not truth. That may be your reality. That may be what you're experiencing. But that is not truth. 
The Bible says, I prepare a table before you when everything is going wrong, and it is a sacred place. This isn't something that I take lightly. I want to bring you to this sacred table. The table of showbread in the, in the temple, they constructed the temple, and then they ultimately was in a tent called the tabernacle. Then they built it into a temple in, David's, in Solomon's time. And so in, inside the temple, they had different... Um, all of this different furniture. And in one of the rooms, the holy place, they had three things. They had a candlestick. They had a table that had bread on it. And then they had an altar of incense. And the, bread of show, the table of showbread was called the bread of presence. It was called the bread of presence. The priest was to bring it out. Come on. Who said amen? All right. There we go. We got one down here. All right. Got one. That's all I need. Agreement. So the priest would bring it out of the temple and he would wave it. And he would wave the bread of presence up, down, side to side. That's how he would wave the bread. What's he forming? He didn't even know it. The priests don't even know it. But that's how God told them to wave it. They wave it, they wave it up, down, side to side. So it's the table of presence. God's presence. He brings you to a table. He invites us to come into his presence and away from. So the idea here is in the mid, he prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. He is calling you away from something and unto something. So he's put a table before you in the midst of your enemies. Well, what are your enemies? Who the heck are my enemies? Do I even have enemies? I feel like I'm pretty liked. Everybody likes me. I don't really feel like I have anybody who's my enemy, you know? The scripture tells us that we do have enemies. It says we lived in the ways of the world. So the, the, the concourses, the Bible would say, the roads and the rivers and the thought processes of the world are enemies. In what way? So the world is the enemy, the flesh is the enemy, and the devil is the enemy. Well, what is the world? It's a system of thinking that is completely contrary to the kingdom of God. That is an enemy. There are things in this world, there are ways, means, thoughts, processes, systems, systemic fallenness, systemic brokenness that are against the things of God. It says, and we follow the concourses of this world according to the one who rules the atmospheres. Ooh, the Bible calls him the prince and power of the air. What is it saying? The one who is ruling the atmospheres. That's until the child of God takes their rightful place and then we rule the atmosphere. I don't know if you're aware of that. We change the atmosphere with worship. We change the atmosphere with praise. We change the atmosphere with declaration. And you'll see the atmosphere shift. Only the child of God can shift the atmosphere. The devil can be ruling, he can set down an atmosphere, but if the child of God will step up into the rightful place and begin to learn the processes of what that looks like, you can literally change the atmosphere over yourself, over your city, over your household. It's true. Try it out sometime. All of us also lived according at one time, gratifying the, the cravings of our flesh, which is our selfish desires. So when it's talking about flesh, it's not just talking about your physical body, it's talking about the innate selfish desires that we have. Right? There's nothing wrong with desire. This is an understanding we have to have. Desire is not the problem. It is a desire strictly and solely for the consumption of self at the expense of others, most likely, but it is something that only pertains to you. It has no other relevance of goodness to the world itself around you. That's what it's talking about. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving a wrath. So we have the world, we have the devil, and we have our fallen nature. Those are our enemies. So God is calling us away from that. Next slide. What does that look like? There's a system of thinking and responding. So when, there, when you're in a system, and this world is just driving you crazy, 
God is calling you away from it and unto him. When this world is just overwhelming you and the systems and the thinking and you're just like, man, there's just so much pain in the world. You're just pulling you away from that and he's calling you unto a table. He wants to bless you in the midst of your enemies. The enemy, the devil creates atmospheres. This is what he does. Spirits create atmospheres. Understand that? Atmospheres are created by spirits. The Holy Spirit creates an atmosphere. We understand that? You're in the atmosphere of the presence of God. It's like, whoa, what is, what is up? I don't, I don't even, you don't, may not even be aware of what it is, but the Spirit of God creates an atmosphere. The enemy, the fallen angels create atmospheres. Spirits are the ones that create atmospheres. And what happens is, is we engage them or we empower them through our agreement or our partnership with it. The presence of the Lord's in this place. You may not even be able to acknowledge him or be able to encounter him because you've not partnered with that. You've not entered into that. You have a choice to enter into that. You have a choice to enter into the spirit of God to get all of this other stuff off of you and say, I'm going to enter in and I'm going to partner with the atmosphere of the presence of the spirit. You can partner with lots of things. Greed, corruption, selfishness, anger. There's lots of atmospheres and emotions that we can partner with. The enemy works in our life by creating atmospheres. The enemy works in our lives by imparting to us lies. The biggest problem with the believer is the lies that have been embedded in us. The enemy doesn't have to do anything to you externally. His main goal is to incept a lie into you. To get you to believe lies and to incept them into your heart. Because once he incepts him into your heart, he can go his merry way and find someone else because now that lie will control you. Hello. I'm not loved. I've gone too far, nobody cares, nobody sees, I don't matter, this is not going to work out, this is the end of me, or I am the most amazing thing that the world has ever hit, amen. <laughs> I am everything, it is all about me, whatever, he tries to incept a lie into you. Some of those lies we've been incepted into the Christian from the time they've been children, we've been children. There's been lies that have been spoken into us. There's been lies that have been put over us. There are lies that we've believed and partnered with ourselves. Hello? And until you gain the courage or the fortitude and the determination to begin to confront the lies within you, nothing's going to change. It's all wishful thinking, Christian. It just is. You can read your Bible, and I'm all for reading the Bible. By the love of God, read your Bible. You can worship until the cows, until, until the angels themselves descend and manifest in this place. But until you deal with the lies in your heart, nothing changes. Nothing changes. Mm-hmm. The lies are what prevent the power. The lies are what prevent the transformation. We see it all the way down the line. We don't believe. We don't believe. We have churches that establish doctrines that, that, that are founded on lies. They just are. Not salvation part, per se. Oh, well, God doesn't speak prophetically anymore. Who told you that? That's a lie. Yet churches found their, they found their whole institution on the fact that God isn't speaking. Well, we don't want to hear voices. That's what I heard pastors say. Well, we don't want to listen to voices. I'm like, I'm not listening to voices. I'm listening to the voice. My sheep hear my voice. Hello? Oh, God doesn't heal. Who told you that? That's a lie. That is an absolute lie. I don't care who, Martin, Martin Luther himself, the founder of the Reformation, can come into the room and teach that sermon until the cows come home, and he's wrong. He's wrong. I don't care who said it. Jesus doesn't say that. Therefore, it's not correct. 
And so the enemy incepts lies, not just into the believer, but into the culture of the church itself. To do what? To neuter the power of God. Neutralize it by your traditions, by your belief system, Jesus said. You make the word of God of no effect. Because of the way that you believe and perceive, you make the word of God of no effect. People of Nazareth, they refused to see Jesus for who he was. No power in Nazareth. So you know. Just how it works. He incepts these things into our lives. He creates atmospheres to us, creates traumas within us. This is how the enemy is. God was trying to pull you away from your trauma. There are people, the enemy works by incepting lies. Ready for this one? Yes. Yes. He incepts trauma into you. This is how he works. Peter said, we're not ignorant of the devil or his devices. We are not to be ignorant of how this fallen being works and how he goes about it. Because if, if he's working this way, then you can rest assured that Jesus has a counterman for everything that he's done. Jesus has a restoration for everything that he's done. But if we don't understand it, we won't, we, won't, we won't even be able to deal with it. Many of you have been traumatized, and the inceptions of the traumas happen in childhood. This is where he's trying to incept you. Lies, he can do it all day long. But as a trauma into a life of a child, he's trying to incept trauma into a life of a child before they become what, what psychologists would call cognitive. Cognitive response, in other words, when a child can understand a situation, usually comes around of what, of what age? About the age of 13. That's usually when a kid becomes cognitive and they can begin to understand, oh, why did the goldfish die, daddy? Before the age of 13, mommy and daddy have to explain to little Billy or little Susie why the goldfish died because they're not cognitive enough to understand the why. You understand this? And so the enemy is trying to traumatize children. This is how he works. That's why Jesus said, if you offend a child, it is better that a millstone be thrown around your neck and you be thrown into the sea. Why did he say that? Is he just saying, don't you, because they were trying to keep the kids from Jesus? No, he's talking about the inceptions of traumas into the life of the child. That's what happens. Can all these things be undone? Absolutely. Some of you are controlled by things that happened to you long ago. You're aware of it, but you can't do anything about it because it's been imprinted in you. Abandonment, some sort of loss that has happened to you, some sort of pain that has happened to you, some sort of abuse. Some of you have been abused sexually, physically, emotionally, from the time you were a child and you never understood why. And you walk around with these feelings of being unloved and you cannot even connect deeply to your father. And even though you want to, there's a reason why you can't because something has happened to you at an age when you can't understand why. Why does this affect me? Many of you have lost parents when they were younger. When you were younger, your parents left you. So there's a trauma of abandonment. And you're always afraid somebody's going to leave. There's always an insecurity. There's a fear of commitment that's somewhere placed in there. And you go, what is my major malfunction? I'm just telling you how this stuff works, man. This is why, this is what it takes for the Christian to get free. We're not going to get free with just, you know, snowflakes and gummy bears. This isn't going to get us free. We're not going to get free skipping to Luda Day and just worship a little harder, Kevin, and just pray a little harder. No, I've got to confront the problems within me. I've got to deal with the tears that are in my soul that the devil uses as a doorway to come in and out of my life because there's a rip that has happened to me. Just saying. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. 
He incepts traumas. He applies pressure to you. He creates atmospheres. And in those atmospheres, he creates pressure. Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> it's the first of the month. Rent's due. There's a pressure. <laughs> that car payment, that mortgage, whatever it is, that color TV that you put on credit, it's due. <laughs> and the pressure of circumstances, he applies to you. And he tries to bring you into captivity. Applies pressure. With our flesh, it's our emotions. Your emotions, can, do, can we agree with this? Your emotions are going to lie to you. Right? They are going to lie to you all the time. Your emotions lie. Because we're, we talked about last week, when man was created, he was created to be led by the Spirit. When we fell, we came inverted, and now we're led by emotion. God has created emotions to be the foundation of spiritual experience. That's the purpose of emotion. To enhance the spiritual encounter. To make you experience God in a living way, but from the Spirit. And when we fell, now the Spirit has come underneath, and now we, lead, we are led emotionally. Everything's by what we feel. I don't feel like it. I don't have a good feeling about that. You know, that's, that's how it is. With our flesh, the enemy, our flesh is against us, and our flesh leads us away from God emotionally. Our selfish will. God says this. We don't, want, we don't think that's a good idea. We like this idea better. Right? He's going to let you keep taking your own ideas until you come to the place where you realize that Jesus is the only good idea you have. He will allow you to make your own selfish choices as many times as you need until you realize, I don't think I have any good ideas. <laughs> That's what he does. He'll let you do it. And that is our enemy. Our selfish will leads us away from the purposes and the things that God has for us. Our actions. Indulging in every want, being driven by greed to always want more for no apparent reason. This is what it looks like to be in the world. This is what it looks like selfish pride. The prideful pretending to impress others. These things do not come from God. Lust of the flesh, lust of the, lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, pride of life. It's from that verse. There's, say this with me. There's provision in the fight. So what's the deal? We're fighting against a system of thinking. We're fighting against atmospheres. We're fighting against lies. We're fighting against traumas. And sometimes you can't get away from you can't You can't seem like I have a way out of that. And even in the process of that stuff being healed and that stuff being undone, and even as God leads you into that, he will create a table. Even though this is going on, he's going to have a table for you. He's going to have a place of rest. He's going to have a place of provision. Even though all hell itself is coming against you. Even though your life is falling apart and breaking down. God has a table for you. Come on. And that table isn't just this abstraction you know, I felt like the Lord has dealt with me on this. We treat it, we treat so many of these things like it's out there and it's not a reality. God never intends the things that he says, says to be something that is merely observed. The things that God says, he intends for us to experience them. Did you know that? That's the intent. So when he says, I prepare a table before you in the presence of my enemies, we just want to read that like it's just this poetic prose. Wow, this is just amazing. This is like Longfellow. This is like just amazing. I just kiss. David was such a, he's so, so rhetorical, I just, I can't believe it. God doesn't mean it to be rhetorical, or so, so where it has a rhetorical art form to it. He means it to where it can be experienced. There's a provision in the fight. Even though all of this stuff is going on, even though your emotions are going crazy, God has a table. He has a table to move you from this and into this. And you can come to his table in the table of his presence, and you can escape 
as often as you want, for as long as you want, from the enemies that are, that are plaguing you. There's provision in the fight. When everyone is against you, Jesus is for you. Did you know that? Come on. You need, if you don't know that, that's one of the things you need to pound in your head. When everyone is against you, Jesus is always for you. If God be for you, who could be against you? You don't know what I've done. You know what? Yourself can be against you. Here we think that our opinions of ourselves are greater than God's opinions of us. Who told you that? Well, my opinion of myself is not that. It doesn't matter what your opinion is. He never asked you, what's your opinion of yourself? What he asked us to do is embrace the opinions that he has of us and to enter into the identity that he has of us. Who told you that? Presence. When everybody's leaving, Jesus is never leaving. Did you know that? Everybody leaves, don't they? Fairweather friends. Jesus said, look, come on. <laughs> Lo, I am with you, what? Always. I will never, what? Leave you. Nor will I forsake you. I'm not going to forsake you. He's not going to look at you and go, man, you really did something wrong there, dude. I'm just going to leave you. That's what it means to forsake. I'm just going to abandon you. He says it over and over again. Scripture tells us, too, we're not left as orphans. He tells us, I will not leave you orphans. Hebrews says, we do, not, we do not grieve or we do not mourn as those who have not hope. When everybody's leaving, Jesus is still there. Psalm 31, your goodness is so great. You've stored up great blessings for those who honor you. You've done so much for those who come to you for protection. Blessing them in front of the watching world. God wants to bless you in front of the watching world. He wants to give you an experience of blessing in the midst of emotional turmoil. He wants to give you blessing in the midst of a, of a, a world system that just doesn't, you just is constantly going against you. It's going against your values. It's going against your belief. It's going against everything about the way you want your life to go. This world seems to just be working against you. God wants to bless you in the midst of that. In the midst of the atmospheres, the lying atmospheres that the enemy puts over you, God wants to bring you into truth. I don't know if you know this or not. I experience this all the time. Yeah. All right. We go in there? All right. We're going to go there. Okay. And I think that, I believe that if we're honest as pastors or even as ministry leaders, um, God has called us to lead people into reality and into truth, not just knowledge. Knowledge is, yes, and it's important, but it's reality and truth. Knowledge doesn't mean anything if it can't be applied. Knowledge doesn't mean anything if it doesn't, if it doesn't produce something. Knowledge is good. I don't take anything from that. And so what the ministry leader and the pastor has to understand, myself included, is that God leads me into and through things in order that it might be imparted back to the people. You understand that? We, we think, oh, why is all this stuff going on? Because God is taking you through something. God is doing something in your life because it's never about you. It's, if you really knew how much it is all about you, it's about the church. It's about his daughter, his sons and daughters. It's so much about, and that's why God does. Paul said that. He said, we are the offscouring of the earth. We are, we are produced into these things that you might be blessed. These things happen to us that we might gain some deeper understanding of the pain in which we've gone through so that we would be able to tell you that this stuff is real, that this stuff is true, that this isn't some fantasy that we're talking about. That we're able to speak from knowledge and experience. That's what God is doing. And I go through this a lot. Okay? So where, there's, where the enemy creates atmospheres over me. 
Okay? I'm just going to be honest with you, because I'm sure you're the one. And if you, if you don't experience this, and you're lying to me and you're lying to yourself. I don't care if you lie to me, just don't lie to the Spirit of God. So the atmospheres that he puts over you are lies. They're lies. It's all over. Ship's going down, whatever it is, you know, your kids have gone too far, you know, the, this is a problem. Whatever, whatever your problem is, fill in the blank. You know, you're never going to get out of this. He puts lies and atmospheres over you. But then when you get into the Holy Spirit and you get into the presence of God, you have what some would call moments of clarity. <laughs> We're able to see what is true. And you're like, wait a second. This isn't the end. Wait a second. There's hope. This is what God, this is a provision that he has made available to the believer. And when we teach the Christian into naturally minded things, we limit them, and we not only limit them, we diminish them into the very provision that God has made for them in the Spirit. We teach the believer so often from naturally minded ways. We counsel the Christian into, into naturally minded circumstances and naturally minded decisions. When those decisions are not necessarily naturally minded, well, just need to hold on till Jesus comes, brother. No, you need to get into the Spirit. Come on. And you need a word from the Lord. Come on. That's what you need. You need, did Jesus say that? Then no, I don't know what Jesus is saying. Get into the spirit and let him speak to you. And if he's not giving you words, I can assure you he's going to settle your heart. And he's going to give you a peace that passes understanding that you know, I don't know how this is going to work, but I just know somehow this is going to be okay. I don't understand it. That's, that's how he works. And so this is where, this is where the table lies, Christian. Oh, he just prepares a table before me. Well, where's the table? You know what I'm saying? Where is it? And how do I get to it? Next slide. What is the table? His table is his presence, Christian. It's his presence. His table is in his presence. We have to be practitioners of the presence. You hear me say this like a mantra. Practice the presence of the Lord. Everything, God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God has provided everything that we need for life and godliness in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. All of the provision, all of the resources, including your identity, because you're, you're seated in heavenly places in Christ. Everything that you need is in the Spirit. And in the Spirit is His presence. So if we do not learn to get into the Spirit, and we don't learn how to access the Spirit, and we don't learn the dynamics of what that looks like, we're not going to access anything. It's wishful thinking. And here we go back, and I'm going to just bust it because that's what I feel like God has told me to do, so I'm going to do it. This is, again, why churches teach foolishness. They teach that there's no power. They teach that there's no provision. They teach that there's no, pur no purpose. Because they themselves don't know how to get into the Spirit. They themselves don't know how to access the very things that Jesus has called us to access. And I would say to those who teach such things, well, as God said to Nicodemus, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you don't know this? Are you teaching my people from a naturally minded context? I speak of you as spiritual things and you can't comprehend it? Don't you dare tell me you're the one that's teaching my people. Hello? Just a thought. He has created and desires a glorious church. He has made so much provision and he's paid for it with blood. The debt we owed, he paid in blood. Everything that he has paid for, he's paid for it with his blood. He's written the check and we got to learn how to cash it. The provision has been made. 
If Jesus thought so much of it to give his life for it, and he, and he bled in order for me to have it, it is the very least I could do is to press into it and to give my life until I can understand it. And to change everything about me until I can access the very things that God said I could have. And we say, all that all ended with the apostles. Who told you that? Lies. Absolute, incepted lie into the heart of the church itself. Diminishes and neuters the power within the believer. <laughs> oh, anyway. His presence, his promise, his power. And you get into his presence. At the table is his presence. You come to the table. Whoa. Everything's all right. Okay, everything's cool. Right? At his table is the promises. Lord, you have a word for me. Is there a promise? Is there a verse? Is there a story? Is there something that speaks to my circumstance? At the table there is. Is there power? Lord, is there an enabling power available to me at the table to endure the things that are set before me? Is there an enabling power that is available to me to endure the very things that I'm going through or the things that I've been through? There is. There's provision. Provision for your now and provision for your future. He is the God of the past, the present, and the future. There's provision. What do you need? Provision. I could talk about that. It means for the vision. Provision for the vision. The vision, the heavenly vision of God over your life. There is a provision for it. There is a provision for everything that Jesus died. Jesus has a vision for you. He's had a vision from you from since the foundation of the world. And he has provided for that vision. There's purpose. You don't know a purpose? Go to the table. Don't you cry because you, you feel bad and you don't feel like there's any purpose for you. Don't you cry because you feel like you've gone through so much and nobody cares and oh, woe is me. Don't cry. Go to the table. Go to the table. Say it with me. Go to the table. Right. I don't care what you got to do. High karate yourself. God's for you. He loves you. That doesn't sound very merciful and very kind, Kevin. God's not going to come in there and take you to the table. The provision is there. If you don't have a purpose, go before your father and find out your purpose. You don't know what's going on. You don't understand everything. Go before the father. It's at the table. I love the story of Joshua. When Joshua completely screwed it up, he's laying on the ground crying. Crying before the Lord. Oh, Lord, you've left me. Oh, Lord, you don't care. Oh, Lord, you don't see. Oh, Lord, you've just shamed us and all of our, all, all these people. And you know what the first words out of the Lord's mouth are? Two words. Well, first one is get. And the second one is up. He didn't get down there and go, oh, Joshua, you know, you're so right. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry you misunderstood. He said, get up, Joshua. Come back to the table and let's partner with this and let's figure this out. So what we got to do, we got to get up. Got to move forward. He anoints our head with oil. Anointing over our head with oil and our cup overflows. It is, what is the anointing? Say this with me. The anointing is divine empowerment for the purposes at hand. That's what it is. It is the essence of grace itself. It is the enabling power of God. It is the anointing. God anoints you, empowers you for the task at hand. He anoints you and empowers you for the calling that's at hand. That's right. He anoints the head. What does he flow over you? He flows over the head. Leadership, wisdom, understanding, supernatural ability. It's at the table. You're in a circumstance you don't know what to do. You feel like you're going out of your mind. Go to the table. Let him anoint your head. Let him bring you peace. Let him bring you understanding. Let him bring you wisdom. Let him give you a word. Whatever that may be. So he anoints our head with oil. He enables us. He empowers us from his presence is the anointing. Song of Solomon. He has brought me to his banqueting table and his banner over us is love. So we come to the table. God spreads his banner over you. 
Sometimes you come to the table in his presence and you just feel the overwhelming sense of God's love. Did you know that? It's important that we define love. Is love a feeling? Yes. Love can be emotional? Yes. But what love is is a verb. The biblical definition of love, ready, is to seek the highest good. That's what it means. So God so loved, he sought the highest good. He is see- when you come to the table and God's love over you, he is seeking your highest good. He may tell you what's right. He may tell you what's wrong. He may tell you what you're not doing. He may tell you what you're missing. He- There's a lot of things he's going to tell you. In our human existence, especially in America these days, we're so touchy-feely and we don't fully understand what love is. And Christians completely don't. Well, God's just loving. Yeah, do you know what love is? Do you understand what love is? Love is to seek the highest good. That means Jesus is going to say some things that you probably don't agree with. That means Jesus is going to have some ideas that probably you don't have the same idea as him. And you go, well, that's not loving. Not according to the scripture because God's ways are higher than ours. So when he is speaking something or doing something in our life and we perceive it as unloving, tough love, love, it is actually God seeking the highest good. That's what he's doing. He is seeking the highest good. That's what love is. He is pulling you up to the highest level or to the higher level. He anoints our head with oil. We overflow. Everything that Jesus does from his presence, you ready for this? Because this is important too. Okay? Everything that Jesus does for us at the table, say this with me, is supposed to create a response. What he does is to enable you to respond. My cup overflows. In other words, respond to what God is doing. Respond to the atmosphere. Respond to the presence. Respond to the power. Respond to what's going over that. What does it look like? Get out of fear and get into faith. Come into his presence and just determine, I will not be in fear. I will stand in faith. Get out of complaining and get into thanksgiving. This is an overflowing cup. That's what it means. Get out, of the, get out of this and get out of that. Begin to let something come out of you. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Shout to the Lord with a voice of triumph. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a double-edged sword in their hand. Do you think he wants you to open your mouth? Do you think he wants you to say something? And he wants you to respond? Western Christianity is taught that silence is supreme with God. Read the Psalms, man. What's he say? One time be still and know that I'm God. And that's, that's the altar that we worship on. When he probably says 50 times, open your mouth, shout, sing, dance. What shall we say to these things? That's one of my favorite verses. I felt like all this stuff was coming at me. And I felt like God spoke to me in Romans. And he said, what shall you say to that, Kevin? What are you going to say to that? What shall we say to these things? If God's for us, what shall we be against us? We got that part. But what shall we say to that? What are you going to say to that? Are you going to let that tell you what time it is? Or are you going to tell that what time it is? That's the question. Are you going to let your circumstances tell you what time it is? No. We tell that thing what time it is. God's for me. Who could be against me? This is not fail. If this is, you failed. Well, failure is not final. Failure is the setup for the next opportunity. Come on. I've come, to, I've come that you may have life, real life, and enjoy it in abundance to the fullest until it overflows. God's intent is that life overflows through us. His intent is that the life that he puts in us flows out of us. Next slide. He has a table for you. Do you believe that? Yes. Do you believe that? Yes. I want you to know this, and I want you to know where it is, and I want you to know how to get it and where to go. So we're going to practice this. I thought we were doing communion today, but we're not. Ah, oh, that's okay. That's on me. Let's stand up if you would. We're going to pray.
we're going to open our mouths. We're going to say something together. Let's say it together. Father, Father I, come to I come to your table, the one that you have prepared for me. I move away from circumstances, from atmospheres, and unaligned desires. I enter your presence in fullness. I trust in your promises. I receive your power, your hope, your purpose, your provision. I make room for the anointing in my life. Spirit, flow in me, flow over me, flow through me. I will speak faith and not fear. I will be grateful and not complain. And I will declare the promises over my life. In Jesus' name. Do you believe that? Yes. Let me bless you. Father, just thank you so much. I pray that your word not return void, but it prosper where you've sent it. Lord, I pray that you show us these things in truth and in reality, God, that we would know you in a deeper and intimate way, God, that we would know you in more fullness and we would know of you, God, we would know you. We wouldn't just see you, we would be with you. It's the road of, uh, the Emmaus Road, Lord, when they walked and they said, did not our hearts burn within us? When we were with him, did we not feel alive? Lord, that that would be the experience of our lives, that would be the fullness of our lives, that we would realize what's happening to us, whether it's a system that is against us or that is contrary to your world, whether it's an enemy God who is incepting and, and creating things over our lives that are not of you, or whether it's our own foolishness or our, our immaturity or our misaligned purposes and desires, Lord. Nothing wrong with desire. They just must be aligned in the right way. So, Father, that we would come to you, that we would receive from you, that our hearts would be open, knowing that you are gentle, you are meek and lowly of heart. And, God, even when you speak to us, your desire is to build us up. Your desire is to restore us. Your desire is to change us. You want nothing from us but all things for us. And this we believe. And God, we give it all to you. We are your children. We're your sons and daughters. We're created by you, for you. We just yield it to you. And we just give you the glory. So may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name. Amen. Sure.